that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. So the Apostle Paul is, he wasn't there that night when Jesus reinstituted communion. Now we're going to have our Seder dinner this year, our Seder meal. We're going to have it off campus so we can fit more people. But communion was going on during Passover time but it was going on before Passover. It was going on with Abraham and Melchizedek. Remember that? Abraham came back from the victory and Melchizedek came out to meet him and they had the wine and the bread. So a lot of, a lot of New Testament saints are ignorant. Say, don't let that be you. Look at your neighbor and say, don't let it be you. And the reason they're ignorant is because the New Testament churches, many churches have abandoned the Old Testament. And I've been on a crusade for 30 plus years to restore the Old Testament back to the New Testament church. That's like trying to knock the foundation out from underneath the house and hope that it'll still stand. But here, Abraham and Melchizedek had the wine and bread before the law, before Passover. And they were doing that as he was doing that as unto the Lord as honoring God that was God's man maybe God himself we don't have time to get into all that but here we are still carrying this on so when Jesus had this communion with his boys he was reinstituting it because he it was all about him. They were supposed to be seeing him from Abraham and Melchizedek through the Passover, all that. They were supposed to be seeing Jesus. And Jesus said, You were supposed to be seeing me the whole time. This is about me. Same thing with baptism. Most people think baptism just started in the New Testament. It didn't. The Jews were washing and baptizing long before Jesus ever showed up, long before John the Baptist showed up. All of those things were designed to help us to see the Messiah when he came and here's what I want you to be thankful for this is changing in me we should be thankful every one of us that he opened our eyes to the truth Amen. we shouldn't take that for granted our eyes got open I know people say I found the Lord you didn't find the Lord he found you the sheep don't run around saying, where's the shepherd at? The shepherd comes to find the lost sheep. So we ought to be humble and grateful in our hearts as we take this communion that God opened our eyes to the truth of who His Son is. And so he said, Paul then comes back with that. He, he's, he's the one instructing us here in Corinthians. He said, I received from the Lord which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he took, uh, was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and that word remembrance means to do it over to continue to do it in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me do it over. Remember me. Bring back who I am, what I've done for you. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. You know why business will get lost on the third or fourth generations many times? Because they forgot that great-great-grandpa put everything he had into it and worked his fingers off and stayed up all night nursing a calf or digging some coal out of the side of a mountain. They forgot the price it was paid. When they got there, they just saw the bank account and how much money had accumulated over four generations. And they took it for granted. Well, I'm afraid that's what we can do as Christians. we got a good life here in America. The poorest people in America are richer than most of the world. we got food everywhere. we got things everywhere to help people in the church, out of the church. I think many times we can get caught up in our own living and forget the price that's been paid. I speak that as American, of all the blood that's been shed for us to have this kind of country. But more so, I speak it as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because that was my cross. It wasn't His. I've told you this many times. There's a very good chance that was Barabbas' cross. Because these guys would sit in prison and cut out their own crosses awaiting their own execution. Well, Jesus was sentenced overnight, basically. He didn't have time to cut out a cross. Not only was He in a borrowed tomb because He wasn't going to stay there long. But he's also using a borrowed cross, most likely. Something that he didn't cut out himself. That was our cross. My sins, what nailed him up there. He didn't have any. But aren't you thankful today for him dying in your place? It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to any of us. Lord, we lift this bread, not because we deserved it, and not because we earned it. But we lift this bread in remembrance of your death. Your body was beaten so aggressively that I might go free. That I might have the benefits of salvation, sanctification, healing, and deliverance. They belong to me. And they belong to me because of your death. And I eat this bread in full awareness of what you did by dying on that cross. This cup with the fruit of the vine this morning, we celebrate you pouring your own blood out. That day at Golgotha, it wasn't an animal. It wasn't a lamb or a ram. It was you, the only begotten Son of the Father, the precious Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, hung on that tree willingly because you had all power in heaven and earth but you willfully hung on that cross to cover my sin your death has brought us life and for that we celebrate you this morning your blessed holy name Jesus we celebrate you as we drink this cup. Man, I feel like praising the Lord. Amen. The Lord 
the Lord showed up here in our Thursday Bible study, and I believe He's hung around. I will read to you from Psalm 89. He says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Amen. Your faithfulness you shall, we, you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my, my, to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also to the, in the assembly of the saints. That's us. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like You, O Lord, Your faithfulness also surrounds You. Aren't we thankful for that? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, You steal them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Amen. I love his arm. Your, the heavens are yours. The earth is, your, is also is yours. The world in all its fullness. And you have founded them. Who made everything? Amen. Three of you figured that out. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Here it is again, that arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Who is the right hand of God? Jesus. He is the right hand of God. And He has brought us the victory with His right arm. His name is Jesus. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise. He's worthy. The Lord, this morning, He's so good to us. Lord, we thank you for all you do for us. Every good and perfect gift we have has come from you. And when we bring something back, it's only bringing back something you've already given us. And we love you this morning. We praise you and we give you glory. Turn around, and tell your neighbor, say, Welcome to church this morning. If you have your Bibles, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. Bring your Bible to church. Uh, let's go uh, to Matthew chapter 9. I'm talking about the harvest today and our responsibility in that harvest as Christians. What should we do with the harvest? Uh, I, as a pastor, I, I don't know if you realize this, but I've already got 20-some verses in your spirit this morning. Do you know that? Between communion and the psalm I read, I think there's almost 20 verses I got to make a deposit into your spirit with those 20 verses. You're going to get a bunch more here. But I, I take my, the reason I don't preach from John 10 every Sunday, and I give you a lot of scripture, and the reason I don't use one or two verses is because I feel like, or no, let me say it this way, I believe I'm getting you and myself ready for judgment. I take that seriously. You're going to have to stand before God someday, so you need something besides John 10. Now, I have relationships with a lot of pastors. I've been doing this a long time, and we, we have frank conversations sometimes. And I told one of them years ago, I said, Buddy, preach something besides John 10 to your church. They, most of them have been saved for 20 years. And he took it. He took it. But that's what I'm, I see you all. We're all going to, even the Christians, not just the sinners. The sinners are going to go stand before the great white throne and be announced. They're going to be given their sentence. 
But Paul says in Corinthians that we're going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ. We're going, to be, we're going to have to give an account of ourselves. So I teach and preach to you the way I do with that in mind, that I'm teaching people and preaching to you because someday we're all, myself included, and you know that I say this from time, sometimes I'm preaching to myself, letting you all listen. But whatever the means is, I want to get you prepared to stand before the Lord. That's my job. That's what a school teacher's job used to be. Used to be where they got them ready to take tests. Now it's helping figure out which bathroom they want to go to. <laughs> Things have really changed, haven't they, in this country? I thought, you can't go in the bathroom like that anyway. That's Fonzie's office. Some of you will get that. All right. So I'm, I'm helping prepare you for the Lord. I, just like if I challenge you on something, I'm going to challenge you this morning. Last week I challenged you to love. This week I'm going to challenge you on, on being a witness. Uh, but if I challenge you on giving, listen... I can teach you to tithe and bring offerings, but that's, that's between you and the Lord. But we'll teach you that because you, you don't want to stand before the Lord someday and Him say, how come you didn't bring me any of what I gave you back? I mean, you, you really, listen, it, it's not going to keep me from eating, and His church is certainly not going to go under if you don't give. It's just going to hurt you. So I'm teaching you like a good... Listen, if the student fails the class, the teacher's already got their degree. It's for the student they're supposed to be in trying to teach them. So that's how I take this job. Listen, I've had those moments. I've been doing this a long time. They tried to starve us out one time when I was pastor. And, and, and I went to the mailbox, and there'd be a $3,000 check in the mailbox. God's kingdom's not going to go under if you don't give. And I'm not going to starve if you don't give. Because my dad, I had, a, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. I was, there was something I was not, uh, I didn't like about a situation in the place of business I was in. And, and so I said, well, it doesn't really matter. My dad owns all the cattle on all, all around here. I'm rich because my dad owns the cattle everywhere. You, everybody understand what I'm saying? So if you don't give, it just hurts you, right? And this is not a message on giving, but it's just an illustration. So I'm going to teach you to tithe. I'm going to teach you to give because you're not going to stop God's kingdom. You're not going to keep his people from eating, the pastor, whatever. It's just going to hurt you. So that's why we teach and preach the way we do here. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. He says, uh, he says as they went out, behold, <clears throat> as they went out, he said, they brought a man to him, mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, it's never been seen like this in Israel. Uh, but the Pharisees, he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities, the villages, teaching in their synagogues uh, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among all the people. So uh, let me say this while we're there. God can do anything. He can still do anything. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can open blinded eyes. He can heal cancer. He can do anything. So don't ever give up on God. Amen? He can do. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he gave them something to pray about. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and to his harvest. So Jesus identified a problem. 
he saw that the harvest was ready, but there weren't enough laborers for it. All right? So that's our call, right? That's our challenge, to think about whether or not you are active in the harvest. That's the first thing I want you to think about. Are you active in the harvest? Let me show you Daniel 12 and 3 on the screen here. Let me read this back from the book of Daniel. He says, those who are wise shall, shall, shall it's hard to say two sh at the same time in, in a row, shall shine. You all try it. <laughs> those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So what's more important than leading somebody to Christ? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And we all have a role. Now, we don't save anybody. We don't redeem anybody. But we have roles to play because all of us have a circle of influence. Every one of us. You have a circle of influence that I don't have and vice versa. They may overlap sometimes. We may have both have influence with certain person or people. But you're going to be able to reach people I can't and vice versa. Look at Proverbs 11 and 30 on the screen. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he, that's a little he, he who wins souls is wise. And we've lived a life. Some of us have lived in our 50s, 60s, 70s. Some of you are in your 20s. Some of you in your 30s, 40s, and, and below and above. I'm not going to say who's above 70. But have you lived most of your life just for your own stuff? Have you thought about others? When you went on that business trip and you met this person and you hit it off and you knew God was setting it up to be a, for you to witness and you just walked away and didn't? You flew back home or whatever? Or you did a job for this family and you knew God was calling you to share the gospel with them and you just did the job and went on? Or whatever, you met somebody in the laundromat? God prompted you to do something, write a letter, send an email. Let's go to Revelation. I'm going to get into the meat of this message now. In Revelation chapter 2, he's talking to the book, or excuse me, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. And I, I brought some stuff out when we studied Revelation a while back about Ephesus that was interesting to me. It's really powerful to think about. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who, has, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works and your labor and your patience. That's hupomene, your consistency. I know you're being consistent. And that you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. I think that's us. I think this church is that way. I think Basilea, I think that's the way a lot of folks are. We're consistent. We're doing the things. But look what he challenges them with. He says, you've not become weary. You've stayed consistent. Nevertheless... I ha you've sought out the truth, basically, by how he said that about the apostles. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, and you have left 
you have left your first love. How in the world do you say that after commending them on all those things? Because what's the only thing in this life that has value to God? People. That's it. How do we know that? Because in Peter, he says, it's not his will that any would perish. And the second thing he says is heaven and earth are going to pass away. He's going to burn them both up. And the only thing that will be left is people. The only thing that has value to God in this life is people. That should be what we value the most in this life. is people. It should be more important to us than our stuff, than our animals, than anything else. People, their hearts, their lives. And I think it's possible for churches to get caught up in ministry and forget to love, like we talked about last Sunday, forget to love people and witness to people. Share the gospel with them. It's, you, can get, you can be seeking out truth even. You can be staying consistent, having that patience, that perseverance. You're not weary. You're standing for the truth. But are you loving people? And are you sharing the gospel with them? That's the question. Because that's the only thing that holds value to God. He's going to burn this church to the ground. He's going to burn the greatest cathedrals in the world. They're going to go to the ground. Jerusalem's going to be ransacked and gone. There'll be a new Jerusalem. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But it's the people that will be in the balance. That's what's left. He says, uh, he says you've, lost, you've left your first love. And what is it that's important to God? People. His son is, pro, is our first. That's our priority. But then loving people has to be second. The Bible says that we should care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff. That we should prefer one another. That's Christianity. We talked about that last week. He says, remember therefore from where you fall and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly. Remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Come back to what's important. Come back to the first love. As I shared with you when we were studying the book of Revelation, I believe it was 40 years, may be wrong on the time, but I think it was 40 years. 40 years later, Ephesus was no more. Evidently, they didn't come back to their first love. The plague came through that region and basically destroyed, wiped Ephesus out by not heeding. See, you can make life all about you and yours and your stuff, and you can even bring religion into it. But if you ain't loving God and loving people, that ain't God's priority. Well, I served, I done this, I done that. I went here, I went there, I went on a mission trip. I sent somebody on a mission trip one time, and they came back and was telling me everything they did in the physical. And I said, how about evangelism? They didn't even know what the word meant. About my, my mouth about fell to the floor. And this was somebody in the ministry. Those physical things we do are designed to open doors so we can share the gospel with people. That's what it's about. And so he says, he who has an ear, uh, he goes on to tell them, let him hear. So this is a message to all of us, right? This is a message to all of us. Now I'm going to give you a story. It's an important story for this. When I was growing up, there was an African-American woman in our community who loved the Lord. She's still alive. Her son's a preacher. 
uh, raised a good family, uh, was a dear friend of my grandmother. Close. She was a friend of mine. I was a friend with her boys. And she's still praying for the lost today. I'm not quite sure how old she is, but she's pretty old. And one of my family members was dying. And my grandmother has been passed for four years, almost. And so this godly saint, woman, called my family member. They were in the hospital. They didn't know they were dying. Nobody knew they were dying. In fact, we all thought they were coming out of the hospital. Well, this godly woman called and spoke to my family member, prayed with them, prayed over them, hung up the phone, and this was her story. She said, as soon as she hung up the phone, the Holy Spirit said, why did you not pray for him to have salvation? Why did you not ask him if he wanted to be born again? She said she immediately called back, done exactly what the Holy Spirit rebuked her over, and led my family member to Christ. Now, at this time, nobody knew they were leaving here. Everybody thought they were relatively healthy. Two days later, I go see the family member, pray with them, follow up, of course, I had witnessed to them before, given them biblical material and things, and hadn't went anywhere. We'll talk about that in a minute. But God used this godly woman and challenged her, rebuked her even. Kudos to her for being real for us. And called back and led them to Christ. Two days later, I went over to follow up <clears throat> their... I uh, had a phone, not overly tech savvy, older, quite a bit older than I am. And so they gave me their phone and said, bring up your YouTube channel so I can start watching and hearing preaching. That was all that was on their heart. And before that, that wasn't all that was on their heart. I left there not knowing that they were going to leave here. Just about three or four days later, gone died. I did the funeral. How important was it for Sister Marie to call back? How many times have you been prompted by the Holy Spirit to stop, to call back, to write a letter? None of us knew, right? The Holy Spirit knew, though. He knew that my family member would be leaving. And he knew that they weren't born again. We all knew that. And somebody who loved the Lord called to pray for their sickness and encouraged them, hung up the phone, got rebuked by the Holy Spirit, called back and led them to Christ. How important was that? How important was that? What did it mean? Everything. It meant everything. 
They were lost, headed toward death. Nobody knew it, including the doctors. But the Holy Spirit knew it. And he said, you need to call back and do this. The harvest is ready. It's out there. They're there. They're still there. But the laborers are few. The people who will say, I'm not too busy to do what you're asking me to do, Lord. I'll swallow my pride and call right back. Where are those people? Even in the church sometimes. And that's what happened to Ephesus. They got so caught up in everything else, they forgot what was important to God. Matthew chapter 5. Let me show you something else about the harvest and about our responsibility. I'm going to take you down the valley and I'll get you out here in just a minute. I'll send the rope down pull you out of the valley here in a minute. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> the Lord talks to us. I'm, I'm in Mark, so let me get back here to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, verse, start with verse 13. Uh, he says, you are the salt of the earth, speaking to his followers. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Now, what's, what does salt do? Salt causes people to be thirsty and then, sets, then helps them be preserved. We're the salt. If, we lose it, if it loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. That's exactly what happened to Lot's wife, wasn't it? God rescued them out of Sodom. They're headed up the hill. He said, just don't look back. Why are we dummies? Just don't look back. Well, I got to see. I'm afraid Macy's is going to blow up. Oh, it did. It went up in smoke like everything else. Listen. She looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt, was left in the path. What do they do in the path? They trod the path. What an illustration. Why? Because Lot's wife's body was out there, but her heart was still down there. And that's what I'm afraid sometimes the church can lose the heart of God if we lose our heart and love and compassion for the lost. He says, You are the light of the world. He's speaking to his followers. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Do, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's plenty of ways for us to leave a witness, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. Let's look at Matthew 4, 19. It's on the screen for you. Matthew 4, 19 says, Then he said to them, Follow me. He's talking to his followers here, where I just read and here. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So some of us fish off the bank. Some of us fish with nets. Some people set trot lines, right? Some people fish in ponds. Some people, I like to fish in the river. It's my favorite place to wade the river and fish. Some people like to fish out of a boat. I'd rather wade the river. Some people like to sit on a pond. Sit in the pond, not on the pond, but by the pond. There's all kinds of ways you can fish. 
Some people like to go in the ocean. Some people like to use nets. Some people like to set trot lines. Some people like to set bush lines. Some people even like to stick their hands underneath rocks and grab them. But one thing's for certain, they're all after the same thing. Fish. So I say to you, so you don't cookie cut yourself and feel the pressure to be someone else, just go fishing. There's the, mess, there's the title of the message, right? Just go fishing. Just go fishing. I don't care if you fish in ponds, because some people, they, they do better at ponds. Some people don't know what I'm talking about by wading the river with those little uh, jig minnows and pulling them across the shoals and watching. A, uh, I'm about to get carried away here. <laughs> about to lose my whole message right here. Watch a big smallmouth hit that thing, and then you, the, the smallmouth fight harder than any fish around here, and you can about water ski behind a smallmouth. Now, I ain't telling a fish story. I'm just saying. And so, you, whatever you do, it's a, I don't know if some of you remember this, but when I preached about praise and worship, you may, have a, you may do that a little different than somebody else, but do give God praise. Give Him some worship. We, and I use the illustration of soup beans, right? Some people, some people eat pinto beans with onions, like me. Some people eat it with relish. That's of the devil, but you can do whatever you want to. <laughs> some people, like my wife and I, we drink sweet milk when we have pintos and cornbread. And then when you get done, dessert. Some of you all know this. Dessert is crumbling the cornbread back up in the milk, right? I mean, what's wrong with these generations? That's the dessert when you're done. But whatever you do, you're going to eat the beans, right? Same thing with praise and worship. Same thing with witnessing. You may, you're, you, you may have a disposition that's different than mine, but do something. Amen. Go fishing. Some, I, I, listen, I fish with cane poles. I fish with just line. I was catching some, I know it sounds like a fish story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I was catching so many fish at a pond up on the strip job years ago when I was a teenager that they were biting so much I didn't have enough line, so I tied a line to my tackle box and put a bobber on it and threw it out there and caught a fish. <laughs> but anyhow, you need to go fishing. Jesus wants to make you a fisher of men. He wants to make all of us fishers of men. So I, like I said, you don't have to be like your neighbor. You don't have to get in the river. Some people are afraid to get in the river. They're afraid a snake will get on them or whatever. That's fine. Stand on the bank and miss out on all the fun. I don't care. But fish, go fishing. And you'll be surprised at what the Lord will teach you. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing better than seeing somebody come to Christ that you've been fishing for. Nothing better than that. And going fishing, having that fun, having that fellowship, just watching the Holy Spirit open up the doors and doing all that, it's beautiful. So you may fish in a river, you may fish in a pond, you may fish in the ocean, you may fish out of a boat, you may fish out of a canoe, you may wade the river, you may do whatever. But just make sure you're fishing. All of us need to be fishing. There's another verse, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Look at this verse. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look at the next one. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And I've, I've practiced that. I've baptized people in swimming pools. I've baptized people above Cumberland Falls. 
We lost two of them that day. They, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, we didn't lose them. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? At least they would get, be ready, though, right, if they went on. But I baptize people all over. I baptize them in the Ohio River. And that's why we like to baptize outside. We obviously have this for, as well. But we like to baptize because it's a witness. The church has kind of closed itself off. So I baptized 28 people in the Ohio River one time. And you would be amazed at how many boats gathered up off the river to watch us baptize people in the Ohio River. And none of them died. Some of them turned green when they came out. But it was a witness, right? It was a witness and it was refreshing. And some of them were like amazed and some of them were so encouraged. And in those boats, we talked to some of the people in the boats because it was a witness. So be a fisherman. Be a witness for God. Do something. Let your work shine. Let your mouth talk. Let your fingers write a letter. But go fishing. Tell your neighbor, say, you need to go fishing. Not yet. Not till the message is over. Luke chapter 14. Go to Luke chapter 14. I'm, I'm going to close here in just a few moments. I, I, I want to get this point across, but I don't want to belabor it. And, and, and Luke chapter 14, verse 16, uh, here's what he said. And, and I love to use Scripture because Jesus says it way better than I can. And then he said, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, sent his servant to the supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. What? Who buys ground? That tells you without looking at it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. Uh, I ask you to have me excused. Again, who does all that? Still another said, I married a wife and she said, I can't go. No. I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported all these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, the blind. And the servant said to his master, It is done as you have commanded, and there's still, still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come into that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, let me, let me break this down a little bit for you. First of all, you are going to run into people like that. You're going to run into people who make excuses. In fact, it may be worse than that. I've been spit on. I've had doors slammed in my face. I've had cuss mail left on my voicemail. All kinds of different things in, in, in over the, the years of my life. I've been turned away. I've been made fun of. You're going to run into all of that. But what if you and I were already dead and gone and we had a child that was lost, left here on earth? Wouldn't we want somebody to not give up? Every one of us would. Every one of us. My grandmother, who was the mother of the person I was telling you about in that story, if you talked to her and tried to talk about... and, and uh, this was a long time brewing, but if you talk to her about her children being lost, she wouldn't have it. Even though many of them were lost at the time, she would not have it. She was standing on God's word that her children was coming home. And they've been coming home since she's been gone. And I want to ask you, I thank God that that African-American sister of mine was faithful 
and took the rebuke from God and called back. She said, I've done fish there. No, he said, throw your line out one more time. Remember what they told Jesus? They said, hey, we've been out here all night. Peter said that. And Peter knew how to fish. He was a good fisherman. He built his whole life on that. He said, we've been fishing all night and there's no, no fish out here. Nevertheless, at your word. What do you think about? What do you think about us? What do you think about somebody who's been witnessing? What about if it were your child that wasn't ready to go to heaven and somebody didn't give up? What if it was your granddaughter or your grandson? We need to think about this in unselfish terms because we may need the favor returned to us. We may need somebody to come fish for one of our loved ones the way we're fishing for somebody else's. And so he says, he says you, that you're going to run into trouble. You're going to run into somebody cursing. You're going to run into that. But keep fishing. Keep fishing. Keep fishing. You know how many years I fished and hardly getting caught anything? Before I learned a little bit about fishing, I'm still not the best fisherman, but I learned a little bit about how to fish and what to use. You know, but I just kept going. I just kept going, even in the natural. And then the next thing he says, he says, he, he goes through the slitme of people making excuses. And then he, he comes to this final point here where he says, go out and compel them. And that word compel means to stop just short of making somebody do something. In other words, don't give up. Just keep coming, right? Take your moments, watch for the signs, look for the open door, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but don't give up. Don't give up. Compel them. And maybe this today is as far as you could go. Maybe six months from now, you can take that a little bit further. Just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and compel them. Compel them to come. Now, finally, let's go to Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's talk about our role and our responsibility. In this harvest. <clears throat> Let's go fishing. Let's get the harvest. You know what happened with those guys once they took Jesus' word, right? They got a, so many fish the boat couldn't hold it. boat began to sink. Think about this. We've all been given this word, whether you like it or not. Go and share the gospel. However that works itself out. There are so many ways to do that now in the culture we live in. People you can't reach or talk to maybe, but you can send a letter or an email or whatever platform you use. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 5. This is what Jesus says. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, we don't have any control of that. My family member had been witnessed to before by me. Planting, watering. Planting, watering. But somebody else was the one God used in that moment when God actually redeemed them. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You hear that? We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Your body don't even belong to you according to Paul and Corinthians here. It belongs to God. 
And so God gave us a tongue. He gave us all the faculties we have, whether it's to write a letter, use our brain to send an email or a text, or to meet somebody at a coffee shop, whatever. But it's time to go fishing. The night's far spent. The day is at hand. And we reap what we sow. How many of you in this building would raise your hand and say, I have people I love that are not ready to meet Jesus. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Everybody in this building. Looks like. And all those that are watching probably. Was there any more thing important than them getting to heaven? There's not. Should we be fishing? And here's the good news. You may be fishing over here in this pond, reeling in somebody's loved one, and you reap that because somebody's over here wading the river, reeling in one of your loved ones. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so tell your neighbor, say you need to go fishing. Now I'm challenging you. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, if we'll start fishing, we'll have to build onto this church again. But the problem is, some of you ain't carrying no bait with you. So you need to get your bait ready, and you need to get to fishing. Cut that chicken liver up, and get to fishing. I know some of you are lazy, you only like to fish for catfish. It's the easiest thing in the world to fish for a catfish. Just throw that dough ball out there and let it sit. You can take a nap or anything. They'll just get on the line and stay there until you reel them in. Some of you need to get it together, though, and start wading the river, get into that pond, walk up to that pond. Listen, we, there was a pond that was in the snakiest, worst place in the whole mountain coal mine. It's it probably the original pond for the original coal mine in the 20s. And it had grown up, looked like a wilderness, and, and it was horrible. But we went up there, and guess what the reward was? One of the guys, it wasn't me, one of the guys caught a six-and-a-half-pound largemouth bass out of that pond about as big as this room here. I stepped on a snake. <laughs> Me and my buddy had skipped school. We did skip school that day. I got in trouble for it. But it, I, I was over there fishing. I stepped on I thought, well, I've stepped on a big piece of metal pipe that they've left years ago around this pond. Well, the pipe started moving. It was a bad feeling. But we did whatever it took to get up there and get that catch. You see what I'm saying? I know, so I've been fishing with some of you crazy guys. It'll be snowing, raining. You'll be running down the lake. I've done this with some crazy guys. The rain will be hitting you. feel like uh, metal it's hitting you so hard in the face just to get to that honey hole. All bundled up at 20 degrees, rain coming down. There you are. How about Jesus? Well, we ain't going to go fishing today for the Lord. It's raining outside. We're not going to go fishing today for the Lord because fill in the blank. So I challenge you to go fishing. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to go fishing. If we go fishing, we're going to have to go ahead and buy this property over here and expand. But that's what we want to do. I had somebody tell me one time years ago, it's not in this church, they were upset because the church was growing. And I said, when do we stop? 
Do we stop when all your family's saved? And I said it just like this. I didn't say it's slang, but I wanted to get my point across. Do we, do we stop when all your family's saved and to hell with mine? Or do we stop when my family's all in here? Oh, let's quit now and to hell with your family? And I, and I mean that literally. To hell. They can go to hell and, and, and I've got mine in. When do we stop? We don't. We keep fishing. Fill a boat up. We'll get another boat. Amen. That's how this works. Amen. Let's stand our feet. So I want to challenge you. I, I, I want you to write that email. Here's some things you can be challenged on. What's your part? Where's your circle? Find your circle. Find out where you, God has given you influence, right, and favor. Do, speak. Speak. Get that moment, right? It's right. People, people are ready. Find that moment. Write a letter. Invite somebody to church. Maybe that's your part. Invite them to church and let me fish for them or whoever, right? Maybe somebody they're sitting beside will be the one that will fish for them. Invite them to coffee and, and take your bait with you, right? Uh, send them an email. Meet one of their needs so the door can get open and you can fish for them. Find you a way to fish for people. The harvest is ready. The laborers are few. And the time is short. We're running out of time. I can't tell you how grateful I am for my sister and the Lord to call my family member the second time and lead them to Jesus when nobody knew they were getting ready to die. That's the faithfulness of the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you that you've called us all to be fishers. You said, I'll make you a fisher of men. You've called us. You said we're co-laborers with you. All of us have a circle of influence that others do not have. Lord, help us not to realize that some of those meetings, some of those interactions we have with people were not coincidence. You set them up. You set them up. You went before us. So we all have lost people in our families. Probably all of us have lost people in our work, in our communities, in our surroundings. We all have people that need to be fished for. So let us go fishing, Lord. Give us wisdom, give us discernment, and give us opportunity to fish. And give us the right bait so that we can fish for you, Jesus. We'll plant, we'll water, and we'll wait on you to give the increase. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you have an open invitation to come now. Maybe you're here and you're a prodigal and you need to make your way back home. Come on. Maybe you have a need in your life. Come on. Or maybe, and this started, you can, this, the burden for what I'm giving you today started Thursday in our Bible study when we began to pray for our lost children and grandchildren and family. So if that's what you want to do, maybe you're fine with the Lord where you're at at this moment. Maybe you just want to come up here and lay your family, your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, whoever on this altar as we worship.